Hey everyone, welcome to our episode. Um, I know we usually don't do these um, little intro, introductory videos, um, but today's episode we will be talking about um, suicide. We'll be talking about suicidal ideation, um, sexual assault. Um, so if you are not a fan of these topics, please um, feel free to just click on this episode now. Um, you can check out all of our other episodes available on all streaming platforms now um, and on YouTube. Um, if you know someone who is in crisis or if you if you yourself are in crisis, um, please uh, feel free to call the national 24, 24 hour, seven day a week hotline. Um, Ebony has the number right there and she will tell you the rest. So if you're having active suicidal ideations, homicidal ideations, active psychosis, meaning you're hearing things, seeing things, um, that's currently not present or no one else is seeing them, please make sure that you reach out to 1-800-273-8255. That is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Once again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. Yes, and uh, while we do, we're talking about these issues in an um, educational um, setting, uh, we do understand that these are sensitive topics to be having. So um, if you feel as though this might trigger something, anything going on in your life or someone that you may know, um, again, please feel free to click off of this episode. We will not be offended in any way. Um, you can still support us by checking out our other um, episodes that are up now. Um, again, on Spotify, Pandora, Google, Apple, and on YouTube. And Without further ado, let's get us the episode. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> are back oh no zoom is being crazy um we are back for episode seven we are on our seventh episode guys how crazy coming alive um for starters i think i want to say happy lunar new year um if y'all don't know um this past friday was the start of a new lunar year it is the year of the ox um i don't think any if you know anything about chinese zodiac uh, i don't think any of y'all um are oxes I'm a snake, so well, not okay. like a snake. Y'all know what I mean—the Chinese zodiac snake. Um, <laughs> I we don't know what you mean. Okay. <laughs> you know, I had to wait. I had to backtrack myself. Um, not that kind of snake, but the Chinese zodiac snake. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this year is gonna bring about prosperous change. This is a year of just growth, um, rebirth, and also. Um, any business prospects you may have uh, expect expect Ooh. that to blossom. So that is the year of the ox. Awesome. I think mine is rabbit, if I'm not mistaken. So mm. I think yeah. I'm a chicken. Chicken. <laughs> really? Honestly, I do. But no, I, like, <laughs> like I remember growing up, I only knew about it because like I remember we would go to like Chinese buffet places and like mm -hmm. you know. And yeah, they would have the place back there, and like I'll be bored yeah. with the food, so like I'll just be doing my little research. I was like, "Oh, I'm snake. That's cool." Uh, uh, you—that's so funny because that's how I aligned mine as well. <laughs> 
And then um, last year when I was in San Francisco um, doing my doctoral residency, it was funny because when I was there, I was finally seeing, you know, it's really diverse mm. in uh, San Francisco. So I was finally able to see like Lunar New Year coming to fruition and nice. how celebrated and how it was like, you know, they took their kids out of school early and it was just like, it was a big thing. So I really just appreciated um, having the opportunity to see that. So we're in 2021. So it was in 2019, of course, before everything went crazy with mm-hmm. Corona. But um, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful thing to see and appreciate and just see another culture. I think that's always dope. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, when you look at, uh, like, I've never had the pleasure, like, actually, because they do a big, like, in, you know, San Francisco, all the big mm-hmm. cities, um, major cities. Um, their Chinatowns, Korean towns, um, their Asian communities do Lunar New Year big. Oh, like yeah. they have really beautiful like traditions and ceremonies, and it's always so cool seeing like those um, the decorations, like the fireworks. Yeah. You know, the food look good too. <laughs> Can't even take that away. Um, <laughs> so it was yeah. definitely that's definitely cool that you were there and you saw it. Like, oh yeah, I mean the kids get really into it. The schools get into it. They decorate. Um, they put on whole plays. It's a it's a thing. And then to be in like downtown San Francisco and to like like you said, try the foods to see how people are just so happy and appreciative of a new year. Um, I just, I just like being in that culture. I'm always open. I, as you know, Donald, I love to travel. So just being in the whole like groove of seeing another culture and being embedded in it at that moment really meant a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one thing before, like we even get started with the show. Y'all two have in common is y'all travel. Like okay. I swear we was just, me and Toy was just talking about that. Like how she took a trip before uh, Rona hit. And I think, yeah, I think travel, like once it's all is over, I think a good, a good trip is in order. Oh my gosh. Yes. I agree. <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't lived out of Michigan though. So that's my next, I want to okay. travel like that. Like you really travel because I just go places for a couple weeks. So a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not wrong with that. Sometimes okay. that's all you need. Honestly. All right. So, this sister, would you like to lead us off in our, our uh, main introduction? Well, of course, of course, of course. Welcome back to the Unapologetic Conversations with the Comments. I am your co-host, Dr. E. And I am Donald Coleman. Yay! <laughs> and we have something special going on today, y'all. Yes, we have a special guest in the building, y'all. Yes. I can't tell y'all how much of this lady... Um, if y'all would have saw her panel when I met her a year ago, y'all okay. would have the same hype that I have now. Like I literally, I'm, I'm fangirling. I think I'm just, I'm over <laughs> here shaking in my boots. Um, we are going to let her introduce herself. Y'all, she is a educated black queen. Y'all know we, we love that in this community. Y'all, y'all know Crazy. this already. So, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and let her introduce herself. Donald, you are so sweet. Um, <laughs> hi guys, I'm Toya Dennis. Um, I am a, I, I trade as a social worker slash therapist. Um, the last, last year with the, you know, the speak that you was talking about, like the um, mental health um, thing that we did, like, honestly, like 30 minutes before my power, like my uh, slides did not work at all. So oh, it was like, wow. 
Okay. <laughs> Remember, I don't know if you noticed that. So, and yeah. I was so nervous because that was the first time I spoke. And so for you to say that is really sweet because I was like, oh, I'm scared. I don't know what to do because I didn't have any of my little bulletins under my slides and everything. But um, so, hey, guys, I'm Toya. So right now I work in mental health. I've been working in mental health since I was maybe 20. Honestly, I knew that was my passion. I knew I was going to major in social work um, and maybe get my doctorate, maybe if someone pays for it. But um, I just feel like, you know, black people really need to come into tune with what they, you know, really feel right so I don't think we talk about it enough and so that's why this has always been my um my life so I'm excited to be here guys it's yes, dope that you are on and I am honored to see another queen in mental health like you say in the black community we do not talk about mental health enough a lot of things are swept <laughs> under the rug we mask our emotions with, oh, no, girl, I'm fine. Oh, mm -hmm. that didn't bother me. Whatever it is, a colloquialism of a statement that we utilize, mm -hmm. we as a Black community need to come together and look beyond the colloquialisms and start talking about the things that actually bother us. So I appreciate you. I honor you, Queen. And welcome to the Unapologetic mm -hmm. Conversations with the Comet. Yes, Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> yes, and I think actually you missed out on something, y'all. This lady right here is a member of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated oh, um, <laughs> on, this, on this very campus, right? On Eastern Michigan University. Um, uh, so I actually went Ann Arbor alumni, but um, uh, Delta Beta is very near to me. Delta Beta is sweeties. So. Mm -hmm. Yes, love that. Love, love. Just, I love the Greek community so much, especially um in the Ann Arbor Ipsy community. Y'all do a lot of good work. Um, definitely keep it up. Um, we love to see it. We love it. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna kick off the show today with uh, our coffee segment. So y'all know we love us a good cup of coffee, right? So uh, I'm gonna lead us off. Um, today, I actually, I'm a little bit off brand. I didn't get coffee today. I went and got me a Thai iced tea. Mm. And it's very, it's sweet, but it's also like a little bitter. Um, it's very good. I go to uh, Sweetwater's Cafe, if y'all know where that is. Um, there are a ton of locations in Ipsy and Ann Arbor, uh, where I'm at right now. Um, it's very good and it's cheap too. It's only like $4. <laughs> that's important that is and what size is it um a triple so like a large okay that is good you know and we I, don't do smalls in this house we don't we don't do smalls in this <laughs> <laughs> okay well you know my brain is always programmed to starbucks so when you said like large triple i'm like oh, okay you're talking about vincy but um <laughs> of course as you guys know, I am a Starbucks girl. That is my thing, um, especially on the weekends. I treat myself to only going to Starbucks on the weekend. I prepare it in my home during the week, but on the weekend, I like to go out here in Georgia. We have like our Starbucks open so you can actually sit in the forums, like in the buildings. So I, I love that. But um, today I am drinking my Venti Dark Rose. Two pumps of peppermint or raw sugar, as you guys know, that's my thing. 
And then prior to actually coming on and speaking today on Unapologetic Conversations with the Comas, I was eating me a protein box because it's Valentine's Day weekend. So I have been indulging in Valentine's Day festivities all weekend, even though today is the actual day. But um, so it gives me my strength that I need. So shouts out to Starbucks. If you guys are looking to have any sponsorships intertwined with our platform, please let us know. <laughs> yes, we will always leave that email down below. Uh, you know, listen, I think sponsorships, listen, we love coffee and we love the brand, but the coin, that that's key. That yes. makes the world go around. So exactly. if you want to help us out, help us grow. Just email us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Toy, did you have uh, a coffee you would like to share? Yeah, with I made some coffee from my house um, and my little carrot. But it's, it's this, um, uh, what is it called? I forgot the brand. I got it from Target, honestly. I'm really not a big like coffee person. Sometimes I like to take it if I just want a little something warm because I don't have no hot chocolate or anything. I love tea. But um, I think this is a, it's a caramel macchiato. And I put a little almond milk in there, a little brown sugar, cinnamon on top. So it was real good. Oh, that's fancy barista. Uh, right. She got the cinnamon <laughs> on top. Like, you I want love cinnamon. <laughs> I don't know why I love cinnamon. It just goes well in drinks. Too. Yeah. I, I put it on everything. Honestly, this morning I did a whole big old brunch for myself and I made apples. Have you ever had like, Fry, it's called fried apples. You just put them in a skillet, a little butter, brown sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg. Delicious. Oh, that sounds like something for me. It was. Make okay. me want to go in the kitchen and cook. I- <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, I don't know. She makes me want to step my game up. Okay. I'm over here just, I, you know, and then also I agree with the almond milk. Uh, Ebony, you already know, me and Dairy yes. have beef. Um, we okay. just don't get along. So I use um, the almond milk uh, creamer from Starbucks. I use the okay. um, caramel macchiato because they have caramel macchiato and then hazelnut. Um, mm-hmm. And I use the caramel macchiato flavor. And yeah, it gives my coffee that, that extra uh, okay. taste that I need. That extra oomph. Yeah. And then, you know, as, as y'all know, or y'all should know, uh, my sister, she, she takes her coffee black. I don't know how she does it. <laughs> um, I, I'll be praying for her sometimes, but you know, to each his own. But you guys know I'm like working in different um, time zones because mm-hmm. everything right now, because of COVID-19 is via Zoom for me. And if you guys don't know and are just now tuning in, I do have my own website, DrEbonyComa.com, where I take wellness coaching and consulting appointments from anywhere around the world. So some of my clients come from like California, that's a different time zone. And because of that, I have to like, you know, just be on my A game for everybody. Like, I just feel like the more that I pour a positive energy into people, even if they're not telling me everything, they're going to leave that session feeling more attuned to whatever their higher power has ordained for them to be. So I try to, even if it's at the, the risk of me being jittery and Donovan probably like Like, girl what's wrong with your case is still so much coffee but um I just want to be always be on my a game and coffee makes me feel like superwoman it Mm. really does it just gives me energy it uplifts my spirit so when I'm in those sessions I pour into other people to feel like that too and the more that the coffee is just black and pure it just gives me that caffeine I need instantly Mm -hmm. so 
Okay. That's why I've attuned my palate to something that's probably not generalizedly liked, but it's cool. <laughs> it's funny, at, when I worked at the prison, that was every one thing, black coffee, because it's hard to, you can't really bring um, almond milk. It has to be in a small package. Yeah. There's certain things that we could bring through the gate. And so like all the COs would be like, you got to drink the coffee black. Like yeah. we will snuck, smuggle in a creamer sometimes, but yeah, it's crazy. I probably c- committed crimes smuggling food in to prison <laughs> for lunch. But so I understand that black coffee. Yes. You put a little sugar in it. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And you just like pray that God attunes your palate faster. Yeah. <laughs> you well, you know, you know, you know, you know, Toya, we're just going to manifest that no one hears that, you know, you were, uh, <laughs> you were, you were just, you know. I, I'm not employed by them anymore. They can't do anything. They have no facts. Okay. No proof. No, no, no proof. Y'all, y'all, if you're listening, you didn't. Um, just, just turn the blind eye hear no evil see no evil okay okay <laughs> so we are going to now move on to the next segment um what tools and techniques did you use this week to better yourself so uh-huh. um, dear sister i think that is your category i'm gonna let you take it off Yes. So in honor of Black History Month you guys know that i have been reading becoming by Michelle Obama and I swear to you, this woman is amazing. I even heard on The Breakfast Club that she is coming out with a teenage version of Becoming. So she will be rewriting this book from the lens of more of like a teenage perspective so that they can align to some of her trajectories. And I see it. One of the things that she talked about in this last chapter that I was reading was that um, everyone was just praising, praising, praising Barack Obama. Like, you know, he's just this amazing guy. He should run for president. And she said she would look at herself in rooms that were filled with people that was aligning her husband to this, to this role. And she felt as though she was an outsider looking into someone's life she did not know. And she said all that to say she was not wanting Barack to run for presidency. And when she reflected on why she felt that way, everything aligned to her being not jealous that her husband will be taken away by other people, but just that she wanted the attention for him to now just focus on her and their two children. And she said the more and more that she reflected on the reasons why she didn't want him to run for presidency, she realized it was all just selfish reasons. And she's seen how he moves and how he operated and when he gave presentations, how people responded and how they were filled with so much hope. And I just thought that was powerful for her in her position to even say that. So many times when we get on platforms, we attune to what people want us to be or how we're supposed to act because this is what people are telling us we should act as though. And I just love that she just owns who she is. And in this chapter, she talked about how she had to go through conversations with Barack that wasn't always pleasant, but because that was her partner and because he loved her and they loved one another, they were able to overcome that. And that's how she was able to step into the role as first lady of course, when Barack Obama became president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And I seen a meme on Instagram 
a matter of fact, I think I just posted it on my Instagram. So if you guys are following me, that's Dr. Dr. Period, Ebony Coleman. But um, it talks about just being you, owning who you are. And I love how she was able to peel back the layers of owning who she is today and just talking about how she had to have those conversations with her partner, how she had to have those conversations with herself. And then at the end, she was able to align all those things to be confident to walk and own the next phase of her life. So I took that and of course I always reflect on things that she says in that book because I'm trying to still own as a black woman, the title of Dr. Ebony Coleman. It's not, it's never easy for me. And I walk into rooms, I'm in spaces where I always feel like an outsider, where I feel like I always have to prove myself. So just to hear a woman of her stature talk about that and how she had to like mitigate these feelings of not feeling worthy enough or feeling like maybe this is not the partner for her because she didn't feel like she wanted to be in that spotlight. I feel all those things all the time. But one of the things that I had to sit back and reflect on is that whatever your higher power puts into your thought process, you have to own it. Because if you believe you are walking in what that higher power has aligned you to. So you have to walk by faith, never by fear. And so those were the tools and techniques that I wanted to pour into you all that's listening or watching on YouTube today. Never walk by fear, always walk by faith. Whatever your faith may be, whatever your higher power may be, if they are putting something on your heart and mind constantly, you walk in that. And not only do you walk in it, you own it because you deserve to be what your greatness is. So those are my tools and techniques of the week. Thank you for that. Yes, she always, y'all, she, and let me tell y'all, she is my sister. But when I tell y'all, whenever I hear like when she goes into her rants and you know, when she's passionate about something, I get chills, y'all. I, I be getting goosebumps, y'all can't see. So I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt today, but I'm getting goosebumps. Like y'all, she needs to write a book, um, another book actually, because uh, y'all know published author. Um, Thank you, baby. Just, just another accolade of her. Um, but we, y'all, y'all already know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, just, just some light, some, some, <laughs> just major flex. But anywho, um, today, as y'all know, we're gonna get into stone of the week. Um, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what stone would I want to represent for this upcoming week? And I was like, you know what? It's Valentine's Day. And yeah. what better stone to represent that than the Rose Quartz? Okay. If y'all can see it. Yes. Ooh. Okay, we can definitely see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Rose Quartz is very good. Um, if y'all are out there, y'all are single, y'all are manifesting some love in your life, um, a partner, um, and it can also be platonic uh, relationships as well. Um, this is a good stone to use. Um, it's definitely a good stone if you are someone um, that you don't really open up well enough or you're very closed off emotionally. This is a good stone to have. Um, it definitely will help uh, curb some of that, uh, I guess, that hardness you have. Maybe you've been hurt in the past or you know, maybe you have some unworked trauma you need to work out this is definitely a good stone to have and it's also very good if your heart chakra is closed um this is a good stone to help realign that chakra point so 
This is the Rose Quartz. Oh, that was perfect. Especially for, like you said, Valentine's Day. It's so many people, like I, I always go back to memes because I am so entwined with the web right now. It's ridiculous. But it's so many people that's writing those memes talking about, you know, if I'm single on Valentine's Day or single this and single that. Sometimes it's okay to open your heart to just realize you're not single. Uh, your higher power is just putting you into a place where you're aligning your self-worth, your self-value, your self-care. So you are in a relationship with yourself. So build that rapport with your own internal love life. And maybe this time next year, you might have a partner. We'll see. Listen, go go copy all the rose quartz and okay. you know, work on your manifesting. And, yeah, love on yourself. You know, six months from now, hey, I mean, hey. Don't, don't, don't come on the show and be like, y'all, in six months, y'all promised me a man. Y'all promised me a girl. <laughs> Listen, I'm not guaranteeing nothing. But, you know, it's definitely a good stone to have. Um, okay. It's also very good if you want to protect your emotions, protect your heart. Um, if you may be in a bad situation with a lover right now or um, just in a bad way in a, any kind of relationship, it's very good to have a rose quartz um, by your side or just wear it with you every day. You can wear it as a ring. Um, I know they make rose quartz necklaces. So, yeah, if y'all want to get a Valentine's Day gift for yourself, get a rose quartz. Thanks, Don. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I already know I come through with the crystals and the stones. <laughs> better tell them. If they don't know, they know now. <laughs> right. If you don't know, now you know. Okay. <laughs> so now we're going to move on with enlightenment of the week with Dr. E. So I'm going to just let you uh, take it and run with it. Yes. So just really going back to, like I stated, with the becoming piece with Michelle Obama, sometimes we have to align and enlighten our self-awareness by taking self-inventory. So whatever it is that's going on right now, like Donald just stated, maybe in your love life, you're feeling like you're not equally yoked with anybody that you're going on dates with, or when you try to socialize with other people, you're just feeling like, ah, this is like draining to me. It's not, it's supposed to be fulfilling, but it's draining. This is the season. If you are out there and you are single, this is the season to align to you. Build that internal rapport. If it's a long Epsom salt bath, getting your favorite glass of wine from Target or from wherever wine store you like to go to, listening to some good music, lighting some candles, and just relaxing. Align to who you are. I know this episode is going to come out tomorrow on Monday, but this can still happen next weekend, even if it's not Valentine's Day, because self-love, self-worth, and self-care is 365 days a year, not just one day, okay? So what we are going to focus on right now for enlightenment is that colloquialism of building rapport. If you are not in a relationship, if you are not with somebody that you consider that to be your partner, you are partnered with yourself. Because self-love is always the best love. God forbid if something happens to your partner, you guys separate, you divorce, whatever stage it is, the only person you're ever going to be left with is yourself. So always own who you are, love on who you are, and make sure when you have times of being single that you love those phases. You understand who you are. So when you are partnered, you know what your boundaries are and you are self-assured in them. So that is the enlightenment of the week with Dr. E. 
<laughs> See, look at that. She dropping gems. Like, listen. And like she said, like she said, this episode will be released on Monday, so the day after Valentine's Day. But um, I think, like what we're saying, all of this can be applied any day of the week, um, no matter the season, no matter the month. Um, at this time next year, if you want to go back and listen to this episode of Valentine's Day or a week before Valentine's Day, you know, that that's your business. But definitely take everything that she is saying, you know, with a grain of salt, whatever your situation may be, you know, love on yourself. That is so important. Um, Self-love is the best love. That's all I can really say at the end of the day. Um, so moving on from our, our Valentine's Day theme-esque beginnings, um, <laughs> today's topic, uh, we are going to be talking about mental health in the Black community. Um, we are going to be moving on to a subtopic later on um, about mental health regarding our youth and incarcerated. So uh, we have with us today uh, my sister, who y'all know is she's a PhD um, clinical psych specialization and forensic psych. Uh, we also have uh, Miss Denning, who you know, social worker, therapist. Um, so we we have some some qualified people here to get into this discussion. So um, whoever wants to start off, this is pretty much like how we had our last guest. It's very much roundtable-esque. Uh, we just go around, we give our points, our views, and yeah, we're just here for the conversation. So whoever, I'm going to let, let one of the ladies go um, in this Valentine's Day. So whoever wants to go first, uh, ladies first. Gentlemen. Look at you being a gentleman. Our okay. parents taught you well. <laughs> My parents. Yes, we were raised right. <laughs> no, I, I honestly would love to hear your position in mental health um, in wherever aspect you want to talk mm -hmm. about it, whether it's talking about it personally, being a Black woman working in these spaces, mm -hmm. whether it's you in those spaces and seeing how mental health is portrayed. I just would love to hear your perspective and we'll just go from there. Okay. Um, for me, I think mental health is like such a small word to describe what it is, right? And nice. so for me, it's just, it's, it's deeper than like we say, you, you, you know, when people say mental health, they always often say depression, anxiety. These are the two things that we have, um, but it's, it's, it's more, it's your environment, it's how you were raised, it's how you react to things. Um, especially if we're talking about black people, we have so much like trauma that we don't deal with. We have so much I don't know, I, like internal, like I said earlier, like internal thoughts that we really don't think about. Um, and it's just like, for us, every day is something that we have to really think deeply about, like in workspaces, y'all know how it is for to be us. And so even just being stressed out from work is different from being black and stressed out from work because you have to think about all the other things that um, the racism in a workplace and just keeping your mental together is just more than just like, you know, one word. And so like, honestly, it's so many steps to mental health. That's why I'm like, well, which, what part y'all want to talk about? Okay. <laughs> it's, so, it's so much. It's like, yeah. and I think having like a good mental, I mean, just being in a good space is honestly so much more than just your mental, it's physical. It is just your environment, like I said before. But um, for me, I think, Black people, we really need to get rid of the stigma. I think we're doing a better 
job of it now. I feel like it's being more talked about more. I feel like we're seeing more doctor, Black um, people that are working in the mental health um, field, but it's still, it's still stigma. Like, like we see these jokes on, we, you say about memes. We see these yeah. jokes <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram about like, like mental health or somebody just jokingly says, um, like for instance, oh, I saw this, like for Valentine's Day, it was this meme I just saw and I laughed at it, but I felt bad for laughing at it because it was like, a, um, it was like, oh my gosh, he posted another girl. And it, and it was like a picture of somebody uh, like, choking themselves like that's nothing to play with right we joke so much about it but like people really be struggling with stuff like that like legit will give them the reason to you know like try to harm themselves um and so it's just such a big realm and I'm, I'm happy that we are having these conversations and we are trying to do build these you build this knowledge base on mental health because I feel like it was it was neglected in the black community for so long that we have so much to build and rebuild um and especially even older, like our older generation, like my parents, like they still don't even really know about it. My, my mom just started therapy and all the stuff that she went through. I'm like, thank God. But like, you know, my parents don't even think about it. They didn't think about it before I was honestly a social worker. And our, I don't even know if my grandparents even thought about that. So I think it's just such a, it's a big thing. So like, which I want to pinpoint, like, honestly. <laughs> So many things. point terminology. Okay. It, oh gosh. Oh, this just strikes a chord with me because I feel like, especially in the Black community, mm-hmm. when we have a family member that has a mental health issue, mm-hmm. we need to call it out. We need to mm-hmm. talk about it, and we need to normalize it. This is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. I personally had a family member where every time this family member went through a mental health episode. People in the family would say, oh, this person's sick. She just sick. She even taking a medicine, she's sick. No. What she is having right now is a, a reaction to what's happening in her body that is a pre-diagnosis of a mental health condition, okay? Mm-hmm. These are the things we need to talk about. Yes, she is sick, mm-hmm. right? Because it is a sickness, but the sickness is not like a common code of the flu. Okay, this is a mental health issue that stems from, I don't know, let's talk about genetic predispositions, right? Mm -hmm. And how majority of the population has some type of mental health genetic predisposition that lays dormant in our bodies, right? And based upon stress, based upon who you have a a baby with, your partner, sometimes those predispositions predispositions or genetic predispositions that are laying dormant are now triggered in our body. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is that that mental health diagnosis is, and if it's now triggered, now you have a mental health disorder, right? It doesn't make it like this person is just crazy. It doesn't make it that this person is just sick. This person has a condition Mm -hmm. and we need to start talking about terminologies as to assist this person the proper way. Just right. how you go to an MD when you have a common cold or the flu, you do the same thing with a psychologist or a psychiatrist if this person has a mental health condition. Yeah. So yes, it is abnormal, okay? Because we talk about abnormalities in the body. Yeah, it is something that is an abnormalcy in the body, but we need to normalize talking about the terminologies of it 
builds a healthy rapport around educating ourselves in mental health and dealing with the issues instead of just sweeping it under the rug, talking mm-hmm. about this person is sick. Yeah, yeah. Like, I really agree with you. It's like, (laughs) it's a problem because, you know, mental health manifests through behavior. So it, it's harder for someone to like understand that or honestly have remorse. Like, oh, this person's just going through something. And it's like, we don't, we don't have it the same way if someone would have cancer because it's a physical thing. Right. And it's so unfortunate, but these things are, you know, when you're, when you actually clinically depressed, you don't eat or you overeat. You can't get out the bed. Like that's that's very physical. But we don't we don't really think about it like that. You're like, oh, that person's depressed. Or how we, you know, one of my pet peeves lately has been when people just joke about things. Like I told you, the meme, but also be like, oh, I'm depressed because yeah. you just had a bad day. Ooh, right. I, it's like it's sort <laughs> yeah, of taking away you. from people that yeah. are struggling for months, right? Like when you look at the how you diagnose depression, like just because you were sad for a day or two right. does not you know, give you the right to say that I'm depressed. Oh yeah, I'm, or, oh, I have anxiety. Okay, why do you, like, were you diagnosed with it or do you get stressed, you know, normally? Like, I think we should really like do that research as a a black collective and stop just throwing these words out there. Like, yeah, I'm depressed because I, you know, you know, depression or grief or just being sad. Like you can be sad. Like it's not the same thing as depression or anxiety. and I, I just really think that we should like try to come together to really learn that knowledge. Like, like you said, call it out for what it is. Like use those words and like, yeah, I think, but I think it's hard when it's family because family don't really listen to other family in a like clinical sense. <laughs> no, you're so right. <laughs> okay. So it's, yeah. So like if your family member, if you tell them like, oh, you might, you might want to get help. You, you can't help them in a way. Cause they're not going to mm-hmm. be like, they're not going to trust you. You know, you know how it is talking to your parents, you know, as a younger person or just even a fam, like a, a sibling, they're going to be like, okay. They ain't trying to hear it. Not at all. <laughs> they I have somebody else. PhD in psychology. I mean, bachelor's in psychology, master's in forensic psychology, PhD in forensic psychology. It took until I had a close family member that just recently passed away. It was my grandmother. And um, she suffered from mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And it took for her to be in hospice, um, dealing with medications where they were trying to assist her with medical issues in addition to her mental health. It took all of that until my family finally reached out to me and acknowledged my education in psychology to ask for my assistance to create dialogue with the medical doctors to explain to them what they were trying to say about her mental health medication mm-hmm. and about just her mental health because it was COVID-19. So family right. couldn't go to the back and see and, right. and create this dialogue. It was just conversations on the phone. And if you mm-hmm. don't know certain terminology, if you're not educated in the fields of psychology, you the doctors are just talking at you and that's the end of the conversation. They're not trying to hear what you're saying because you're not speaking their lingo. Mm -hmm. So it took all of that for them to acknowledge me in this space. Mm -hmm. And I used to talk about this with the inmates all the time. Mm -hmm. You guys have to realize I am 33, right? Mm -hmm. So 
with a PhD being 33, this means that I have been on this trajectory of becoming mm-hmm. Dr. Ebony Coleman for a very long time. I started off as a mental health just assistant, you know, mm-hmm. you willing people around geriatric population, you watching, go. writing a little note, you know, mm-hmm. all that, to being a clinical supervisor at an RSAT program mm-hmm. with 400 inmates. I am over 15 counselors. And at that time, I probably was like 25, 26. Mm-hmm. And this was in Detroit, mm-hmm. where I'm walking in, it's 400 men in a 180-day program, mm-hmm. and, and RSAT, which is Residential Substance Abuse Treatment. Okay. So you go from being in a prison population to where, for 180 days, you're in a school curriculum, mm-hmm. and you need to follow this school curriculum verbatim, or we're sending you back to prison, and your parole is revoked. And you have to do the rest of your time there. So when they come in this program, they want to actually do it right. and, you know, get through it and graduate because they mm-hmm. want to go home. Right. They want to fulfill the rest of their parole in the community instead of being in prison. Mm-hmm. So with all this on their backs, here comes this little 25, 26 black girl mm-hmm. <laughs> walking in, talking about you need to do this and you need to do that. I had so many I'm clinical super. I'm over the program. Mm-hmm. I had so many of them pushing, pushing everything that I said, challenging me mm-hmm. to where I had to come up with this thing. Cause then it, st- it starts making you question yourself. Like, Is it, should, should I it's be in these spaces? Like, yeah. I don't look like other people. You know what I'm saying? Should, mm-hmm. should I doll myself down because maybe I need to look like this for them to respect me? So I went through all those mm-hmm. phases and yeah. feelings and feeling of like not enough or feeling like maybe I'm too much and I need to tone it down. I, I felt all of that. But I came up with this statement and I used to tell them this all the time and it used to break down on barriers. You need to focus on the message instead of focusing on the package because focusing on the package mm. is what got you here. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Soon as I would say that, it will open up so much conversation to where the inmates will start coming up to me after our morning groups and they're like, Ms. Coleman, this is before I was Dr. Coleman. Ms. Coleman, I thank you for that mm-hmm. because you're right. I was focusing on package. A lot of them were there because they were doing drugs or selling drugs. Let's just be honest. That call. Mm-hmm. And so they were just like, you know what? I was focused so much on the package. I'm here because I was with this girl. She was pretty. And even though it was so many warnings around, I shouldn't have been with her. She's not a good person. I still was with her because she looked good. And now look at, you know, we started doing drugs together. I would have never thought this beautiful woman was doing these drugs and then because I loved her and then the trajectory of the the drug abuse Mm -hmm. the trajectory of how when I was a kid I was abused a lot of them had a a lot of abuse histories Mm -hmm. from older women that was babysitting them that's a topic okay and then so as they got older they Mm -hmm. looked at beautiful young established women and they would just do anything for them because they have poor boundaries Mm -hmm. with creating relationships with women Mm -hmm. so these are things man I get so emotional and so passionate about it because I I love to create conversation around it I really Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. but I feel like because I'm not a blonde hair blue eye 
was gonna say Becky. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said You was like, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> I was Man. like, I was like, she I was like, oh, oh no, like, no, oh no. But because I don't look like the normal standard of what mm-hmm. a psychologist should look like or a mental health professional should look like, people don't want to listen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the problem in our Black community. We need to stop focusing on the package and focus mm-hmm. on the message. Mm-hmm. That's Period. True. That's a word. Let me write, let me write that down. Okay. Listen, <laughs> this is what we need to do. That's about to be. That's about to be. I told you she, she be dropping gems. Like, y'all, like listen like these conversations are so important i feel like especially for our community also sorry sister if you were still talking okay, I just, baby cut me I off i to need to be it. cut off sometimes I, I didn't want to talk about becky when i go there come y'all <laughs> i was just like <laughs> you know, I uh, maybe this is a this is a perfect segue to de-escalate her but uh <laughs> yeah, no exactly. i think i think it's so important to be having these conversations especially you know in our community specifically. Um, as y'all know, I'm going to school, or for those who are listening or you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to school right now. I'm a biology major. I'm double minor in psychology and communications. Um, I think I'm changing my major to neuroscience. We'll see. Um, but I'm taking all of these, you know, biology classes, genetics classes, and, you know, psychology, abnormal psych, social psych. And I think in my time being in school in higher ed, taking these classes, you know, it's it's become abundantly clear that we need more trained people of color in mental health. That I think that right there is a big solution within itself, especially when we're talking about destigmatizing mental health, going to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist or a social worker. Um, I think that in itself is a big, mm-hmm. that will tear down that wall, that barrier of going to seek help. Because in our community, at least, I can say that a lot of these mental health diagnoses go unchecked for years. Like it manifests itself in adolescence and it goes unchecked and it goes unnoticed to the point when one reaches adulthood, now, their whole life is impacted by this now. Right. And whether that be depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, uh, schizophrenia, you know what I mean? Like it can manifest itself into something greater if it's not checked early on in life. And I say that to say, Black people, we need to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, we grew up, you know, therapy, therapy ain't real, or therapy, that's just, you know, you just, you just gotta, you know, walk it off, or I don't know, you know, just, it ain't, what you crying for, you ain't got nothing to be sad about, you know, stuff like that, um, is very harmful, in fact, um, actually, I know, if y'all saw, uh, Taraji P. Henson recently opened up about how, uh, her mental health took a toll on her, like, during quarantine, and she actually tried to commit suicide twice, Oh my gosh, um, I did not hear that. Yeah, yeah she, um, she talked about it on her show. Um, you know, she has a new show out, um, a okay. talk show. And she talked about it, uh, how, you know, during quarantine, she was very depressed uh, to the point where, you know, she bought a gun and loaded it and she was going to take her own life. So, and I say that not to, you know, 
in a dark way, but I say that to say that I'm glad now in 2021, we're starting to open up those dialogues because, mm-hmm. you know, that could, save, that, that could save someone's life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Seeing Taraji you know, on TV and in movies and talk shows, not someone younger, you know, who may be going through it at home, abuse, depression, you know, suicidal um, ideation. They're seeing someone on TV that looks like them and they feel represented enough to where they're like, okay, if she's getting help, I can go get help too. Right. And I think that in itself is so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I think we need more advocates. We need more trained professionals because, you know, right now there's probably a little black boy, a little black girl at home that is severely depressed and okay. they're in a bad situation at home, you know, parents always arguing, you know, maybe they come from a one-parent household, you know, maybe a parent is severely ill, terminally ill, and they have all that pressure and that stress, and they're in school, and God forbid they have younger siblings, because now you got to look after them, and all that stress is going to build, 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 and it goes unchecked, and it's a ticking time bomb. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, this Black History Month, I challenge all, you know, people of color, you know, if you're not going to therapy, you look for therapeutic ways, look for ways to seek help if you need it, because um, I would rather much see you in therapy than see an obituary of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care what anyone says, if I, you know, you are not weak, um, you are not pathetic for going to therapy, you're not any less of a man, any less of a woman, I would prefer someone to have gone to therapy and get the help they need versus going to a funeral because they mm-hmm. killed themselves. Mm-hmm. Or also just, you are just, you know, making these connections with people that are like, you heard in other people, right? Like when we, when we talk about relationships, young relationships and um, someone has not, you know, really thought about what they're going through. And so they hurt other people by being in a, thinking you want to be in a relationship with someone, a girl or a boy, and you have all these issues and you end up hurting that person deeper. You make them have like you know, some issues that they're going through. Um, that's important. It was funny. You said, you said something about like, you know, not understanding therapy and thinking, you know, saying that therapy is, you're not pathetic for going. Um, so I worked at, on a psych unit, right? And we have mental health techs, have a whole, you know, host of people that go in. But I was having a conversation just with some of the mental health techs about relationships. Mind you, I'm young, I've never been married, I'm single. Um, and I, I, I basically asked them, um, would you get therapy from me even though I wasn't married, right? Mm-hmm. If you knew that, right? And then so the, they, I don't know how they responded, but it got, we got on the subject about like how, you know, it was always cheating back in the day with couples and like marriage. And I'm like, but that's still not normal. And um, so one of the, she was, I think she's actually, um, I forgot her nationality, but I think she practiced Muslims. Um, Muslim. <laughs> she practiced, um, I'm forgetting the name, regardless. She was saying that she and her uh, husband are in therapy and they're great. And then one of the mental health techs, which is she's African-American was like, see, only white people do therapy. We don't need that. Y'all just figure it out. And I was like, ma'am, you in a psych unit. Exactly. <laughs> I'm confused. Like, I was just like, 
you you sitting right here you work in a cyclone and you've been working in a psych unit for years mind you psych unit patients are totally different than you know of course they're very like you say psychotic because they're not on their medication they have all these other problems and they might have came in there because they tried to commit suicide and it's very extreme right to be in a psych unit in the hospital um but ma'am you see what it can it can go through so i'm like are you really saying that and i was just like and I said that, I was like, you are on a psych unit. And so we got in this conversation and it just made me so sad because she's, you know, I, th- I think she's like maybe in her late thirties, forty. Um, and I was just so upset. Like I was explaining to her, like therapy is okay. Like what is wrong with a, a, a married couple getting a therapy because they need to work some things out because when it comes to like, you know, relationship therapy or marriage counseling or anything like that, sometimes it's communication then sometimes you figure out that someone has something internal that they weren't dealing with that has manifest in between y'all. And so then you go, like, oh, maybe I need to go therapy by myself. And so I'm like, I just, I couldn't understand how we still, like we see these things, but we like, sometimes I think we just be like, no, that ain't true. No, that ain't, that ain't us. Like with, because it didn't affect you. It didn't affect yeah. you, you know? Uh-huh. And it, was, it just made me so sad that like, ma'am, you on a psych unit and you said that we don't need therapy. Like all, if these, if, if half of, not half, but like if a lot of these, some of those patients that came in that have like substance abuse issues and let's, let's just say depression, anxiety, if they would have just been, you know, weekly therapy, half of their prop, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have ended up in a psych unit, right? Almost committing their, like, you know, committing suicide, right? And so it just made, I was like, do you, have you seen these people? And, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm in therapy. And it's like, oh, you are? I'm like, yeah. It's like, you don't have to have something extreme happen to you for you to be in therapy. You don't have to, like, that's just a misconception, right? And so it's, it's a stigma. Like, I really think that's the biggest thing. It's a stigma with, like, Black people and and just mental health. And, like, I, it's so it's so many, so many realms that we really just need to talk about and, like, really... Like it should, I think it should be part of the curriculum in grade school, quite honestly. It, it really needs that, to. No, that's policy that we can get into <laughs> policy changes and whatnot that need to be held. But but that's interesting, um, Dr. E, about your experience with substance abuse and like okay. the, um, you know, the, the prison population, because I worked at Woodland. So if you said you was in Detroit, you probably know what Woodland is. Well, great. Um, so for you guys to know, it's an inpatient psychiatric prison um, in Michigan and it's all males, all levels. Um, and so it's funny you spoke about like just going in front of them being young and talking to them about things that they need to implement. Cause I, so much pushback. And so also it was honestly my first position straight out of like, um, grad school. And so, um, being in a room, doing group in a room full of, of, we only did like 20, uh, 20 guys in our, um, groups, okay. um, was very nerve wracking for me. Cause I always had that imposter syndrome. Like, am I, can, should I be here? You know, it was only like, I think it was, it was three black, uh, mental, we call mental health professionals at the, this specific prison. And then most, how many, uh, black inmates? Oh yeah. So many, right. Um, probably 80%. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I, so, you know, it's funny. So the way, so what the way, so Woodland works, so y'all to understand. So it was not a regular prison and I, and I do the bunny ears because 
if you talk to the correctional officers that worked at different prisons, it doesn't, it, it runs as an actual hospital, right? But with corrections. And unfortunately in the correction system, they always put safety first. So it's really, you would think that it would be mental health over corrections, but it was always corrections over mental health, very unfortunate. But so what would happen if someone is in a regular prison or jail, well, not even jail, prison, this is all prison. Um, they will come to our prison if they had extreme psychosis, if they said or actually tried to commit suicide. Um, and a lot of reasons were they were actually psychotic. They actually tried to commit suicide. And also they were trying to run from somewhere. So that did happen. Let me say that does, like they would honestly just tie a sheet over their throat and they know they would come here. But <laughs> when they came here, even though they was trying to hire you or realize that, oh, you still have all these issues. So are you, you think people that end up in, in jail and prison don't have issues, mental health issues? I would say like, honestly, let's say 98%, let's, let's be clear <laughs> yeah. or something that they just I never would, figured I would out. beg to differ a hundred percent. Okay, let's be, I was being nice with that. Okay, let's say honestly, honestly, because it's so much like when we talk about childhood trauma that they never, they never talked about. And so it was, it was interesting to get like real, you say tough people in my group for them and, and me, when we do an individual, they crying. Yep. And it's like, wow. So this was your, this was your childhood. That's how you ended up here. I can't imagine, mm -hmm. you know, I, and you didn't have no help. I would be, I'd be on five south, which is where we call my side unit. Okay. If I, and, and it's like, they didn't, they started learning about mental health because they was here and they knew they had to escape. And some, some people would actually try to get better and some wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a long-term facility um, for most. And so it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, so, so like my, I, I felt like, um, the black people that came in there, it was still a big, it was a still a big ratio of black and whites because of how white people deal with mental health. I felt like more white people came into our facility, honestly, and stayed longer and got benefits. But then, then I would see how the doctors will put the black, uh, our black patients on an involuntary um, treatment order, which means that they can give them drugs whenever, if, if y'all know what that is. So, um, it was weird because I was helping the black, I was helping black people, but also it was just like, wow, at, at this particular prison, it was still the black people outweighed the white, but it was, I, I don't even, I don't know what the percentage was, but it wasn't like a regular prison, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so white people actually sometimes, let's say, sometimes actually pay attention to mental health. So they would come and escape. And it was like black folks, they was like, yeah, I'm just trying to be here. I'm trying to, you know, I was tired of, I was tired of regular prison for a little bit, you know? And at my prison, you're in a, you're in a singular cell at my prison, okay. at the prison I used to work at, it was a singular cell because every, you know, people were, you know, everything was locked up because they tried to sometimes they assert things into their bodies or do all these things so it had to be all single cell so honestly some people did come to escape but those black men that came to escape realized that they do actually have some issues that they have not talked about or have not understood for so long and it would it would annoy me when they be trying to ride them out because <laughs> i'm like we just got somewhere right in our individuals and um it's still like, even in the prison system, we can talk about how mental health is, if you if you get a good social worker, you get a good psychologist or a good psychiatrist, you cool, but like, it's not a lot of us. No. And it's not a lot of us. No. 
as in black people. And it's not a lot of us, as in you. Oh, you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so unfortunate. Like, it's so many things when we talk about, I know we, I sort of moved fast the topic. Never mind. Okay. I don't want to push the topic first. But <laughs> you had a lot of key points. Like, even when you were talking about how the young lady, She's in a psychiatric war and she's talking about because we don't do that. We, what do you, ma'am? Ma'am, let's look around. Where are we? Let's start right. there. Let's talk okay. about what we don't do and then look around and see if it equates to what you're talking about. It's called, okay, it goes all the way back to classical conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. As in Pavlov, right? You mm-hmm. have the dog, you have the bell. And anytime that the dog <laughs> hears the bell, because now that the dog equates food to the bell, when he hears the bell, he starts salivating, even when it's not a presentation of food. Mm-hmm. And I say all that to say, us in the Black community, we have this thought process that we have adapted over time, where mm-hmm. it's the statement, oh, you dealing with something, you better go pray about it. Oh, you dealing with some girl? We don't talk about that outside of our house. Or you, you going to therapy? You don't tell people about that because there's a stigma around that. You don't tell people gonna think you crazy. Mm-hmm. Even when you are going through mental health issues, it's like the word is the bell. Mm-hmm. Anytime that we hear mental health, we immediately equate that to crazy. Right. It's we have been ingrained in the black community to think that that is called classical conditioning. That is called maladaptive thought process. We have adapted to things in our community that Mm -hmm. allows for us to function in our chaos. But anytime that you leave out of that chaos, you realize that you can't function outside of it. That means that you have adapted to something that is not going to allow for you to be functional in successful situations. Mm-hmm. You have a maladaptive thought process. Yes, you have adapted, but in the wrong way. Let's okay? talk about these kids with trauma. When they was okay. a, they they adapted to that. Like that's why they are scared of noises or not scared of things that they should be scared of okay. when they are you know going through the world like. A lot of the people that were in like like gang violence and things like that, mm-hmm. they've been doing stuff like that since or like stealing things from others when they since they was eight. So they always paranoid. They always think of somebody out to get them because they was out to get others. Yeah. But also, also I'm like, that's the environment that you are in. And so you they'll come in and just be like, Yeah, I just I'm never comfortable around people. And you can see them, mind you, it's, it's some maybe some psychotic issues going on, but also it's just like your environment for the most of the times that you were in the actual world was you having to actually look over your shoulder because the people that protected you had guns or the that you found a family members in the gang like you didn't really have that community of people that taught you something and so um though I, I feel like though we don't understand well we're starting more to understand it as a like as a collective of black people but we also there are so many you know reasons why we don't right like we have a mistrust in like medical systems right because of what they did to us and you know and sometimes I like I give people the benefit of the doubt like black people the benefit of doubt like I know it's hard for you to really trust these doctors or these therapists because of what they done to us and how they look at us and it's still it's unfortunate that these systems, because these systems are still ran by white people and they still oppress us. And so with even in within mental health and 
working at the hospital, which I'm assuming, you know, that you have, like you go in a room, you be the only black person in here talking. And this, this hospital is in Detroit. And so <laughs> even in the heart I of Detroit, you, I was West a side. medical supervisor at that prison mm. who was over me was a white man and a white woman. Okay. Mm. Anytime, even here in the state of Georgia, I have worked in psychiatric setting psychiatric hospitals. Mm-hmm. I've worked in RYDCs, which is regional youth detention centers. Mm-hmm. I have ran the gambit, whether it was working in psychiatric setting for children, children mm-hmm. with autism, children that come from ODD, oppositional defiant backgrounds, all these different backgrounds, who is over the programs are white people. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Atlanta. <laughs> For you guys that know Atlanta, Georgia, it is predominantly us here. Mm-hmm. So to see these, and we are growing in this field as Black people. We really are. Like, yeah. I see so many more people that look like me, Black doctors. We are trying to integrate in these spaces. Mm-hmm. However, we have to show up okay. and be 10 times more than the person over us who does not even have their credentials oh. to be in that space. Preach, honestly. Not only do we Ever. have to show up, we have to look the part. We have to speak okay. the part. And you better not ask for more than what they're presenting you because mm-hmm. now you're aggressive. And no one wants to work with an aggressive black woman. Okay. <laughs> so it is hmm, working in the spaces of mental health as a mental health provider, you have to have your own self inventory in check. Mm-hmm. You have to have your own goals and aspirations in check. You have to know what you are advocating for, be knowledgeable in it and be unapologetic about it. When I was working in the prison system, the main reason that triggered me to go back to get my PhD, I had a master's in forensic psychology. So I was aligned perfectly for this position. Let's start there. The curriculum that I seen that they were presenting to the black men, I had to put my own little twang on it. Cause I'm like, if we just go verbatim, but what's going on in this book, y'all gonna be back here in in four weeks. Okay. Okay. And Jenner is giving you a month. Mm -hmm. So I would adapt the curriculum when I would have to step in for certain counselors that they were out sick or on vacation. I would adapt the curriculum to be applicable to situations that they were engaged to when they go back out there. Let's be honest. If you were addicted to what is it? Crack. Mm -hmm. If you were addicted to cocaine or what methamphetamine, whatever your drug of choice is, it can be something as small as a Coke can that triggers you. It is. I have so many inmates that told me Dr. E, I can't even see a Coke can because I immediately get the shits and I start shaking because Mm -hmm. I feel like the drug is already in my system because that is the vessel that I used to use to get high with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we would talk about that and we would break that down. Mm -hmm. I would even talk about song lyrics. You know, your body's here with me. But your mind is on the other side of town. We will talk about that. What does that mean? You guys are present with me right now here in this room, but your mind is out there in your environment. Your mind getting high before your body can even go. And I would see certain topics we would talk about in the classroom. I would see them shaking, sweating. Mm -hmm. 
And it would trigger them. Yes, they're doing the work and they're showing up, but they're doing all this with the goal in mind of going back in the community and getting high. Okay. So we, those are things we need to talk about. And because I wanted to change the curriculum, I presented all these ideas, like mm-hmm. exactly how I'm presenting to you and Donald. And they told me, because at the time I only had my master's in forensic psychology, talking to a white board that none of them was forensic psychology, but I'm going to just say that and leave that there. Okay. You have to go back to school to get your doctorate to change the curriculum because we, you know, without that, unfortunately, we have to go with state mandation. Hmm. So I felt as though I would be a hypocrite mm-hmm. to sit in those spaces, manage those counselors with the knowledge that the curriculum that they are giving, like it's just a blanket. Okay, because mm-hmm. in you know in counseling and therapy, we talk about individualized treatments. If you look at research studies, yeah. that's the only way to properly assist people. Right. I'm not gonna say treat, but assist people. We can't just give a blanket of treatment to these men. Here lies have the problem. Been, thank you. Blankets of treatment don't work. We hate at all in any way, because this curriculum was built for people don't that don't look like them. Mm-hmm. That haven't came from fight or flight situations and forget about flighting because if you flight, we going every time we see you, we're gonna mess with you. Or if you flight every time, then you can't live in this community because you need to mm-hmm. get a gun. You need to normalize walking around with your gun because if you don't, we're gonna steal, we're gonna rob, we're gonna rape. This is the mm-hmm. kind of community that they're they've been raised in. Mm-hmm. They look at substance as a way of escaping. Mm-hmm. Just because they can't deal with the fact that they didn't been in and out of prison their whole life. And they didn't they go back to the community with all this baggage, knowing that they've been raped in prison. We need to talk about that because I've Ooh. seen that. How they get these tattoos on their face to make themselves look hardened, and those be the ones that's in prison getting taken advantage of. So they put all these tattoos on their face to ward off people. Now you go back in the community and your girlfriend. You trying to have sexual intercourse with her and you having mental flashbacks about the trauma you had in prison and the things Mm -hmm. that you had to do to survive. These are the situations that our black men have to go through in prison Mm -hmm. or really had to go through probably before they even got to prison. Mm -hmm. These are the things that need to be in the curriculum. How do you deal with that without substance abuse? And it's just so interesting, like going back off what you said um, about the, the blanket and changing the curriculum, um, not only in the prison industrial system, but also in schools, right? That's what I was saying. Because yeah. when you put these mental health professionals, I'm not even going to say like psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, you have to be um, sensitive to the environment and the population because that determines your course of how you're going to run through someone's treatment. Because in a black person versus an Asian person versus a white person, those mental health symptoms are going to look different for each individual. Mm -hmm. They're going to manifest themselves in different ways. Like you said, like with, uh, what was it, gang violence? Like it is shown that, you know, black children that come from gang violence, you know, their mental health symptoms are gonna manifest themselves differently, like paranoia, insomnia, all these things because of their environment they've been conditioned to be in. Like 
they're so used to they're staying up all night because you're hearing gunshots every night. Okay. Or, exactly. you, or you are constantly paranoid because you have to walk to school. You know, school is three, four blocks away and you're in the middle of a gang territory and then there's a gang dispute going on right now. And you have to worry about whether you're going to get caught in the crossfire on your way to school. Mm -hmm. So I think when you're talking about changing these curriculums, I think we need to get people of color in these spaces, in these rooms, because and I'm not taking away from, you know, white mental health professionals. I'm not at all. I'm just saying that it is important to have those dynamic perspectives in these rooms when there's decision making involved, because you aren't going to have that experience or you're not going to have that life point of view when you're coming to make these curriculums for these treatments, right? Because you're only looking at it from one lens, your own. Because let's be honest, there's always going to be a bias. You know, you are taught not to have a bias or not to have, you know, these pre pre uh, dispositions, but you are. It's just human nature. You can't I mean, yes, you can work on that, but it's just in our nature, right? So I think when you're talking about changing curriculum, that you need to have Black and more people of color in these rooms, because if not, then like you said, that curriculum, that blanket, that blanket statement is not working. It's not going to work. So what can you do? to help these people to successfully rehabilitate them because prison is not it's rehabilitation what are you doing to successfully rehabilitate these people nothing to them back <laughs> to society because right now it's it's a pipeline it's a pipeline and no one wants to talk about it but y'all don't want to rehabilitate these people y'all want them to keep reoffending because when you reoffend guess what the prison system is making more money mm -hmm. every time you come back. They don't want to help you. And it's sad. It's sad that it's like that. But when I was talking earlier, you we got to have people of color in the decision-making world because mm -hmm. it's clear that no one is being sensitive to the environment, the population, these people's backstories. Because like uh, my sister was saying earlier, you know, what works for one person is not gonna work for the next because you they may have two different backgrounds. One may come from a drug infested home, the other one, you know, involved in gang violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's so much deeper than just, um, just like, the, like, you can't put a blanket, you can't do that. Like every, every situation is different for a person. And it's funny you were, you were talking about it. It was Black History Month. Like, how was prison? What was the actual role of prison when it started? Okay. We want to we talk about that, and that that it just bothers me. And so it's so I stopped working at the prison uh, because MBOC is racist. Like, sorry, I say blanket things, but I, it was a whole little debacle. Um, and so I literally stopped working there, but that was, I would go back again. Like I, people would be like, oh, how did you like working there? I loved it because I felt like I was actually helping people like mm -hmm. me. Um, but like the prison system was not meant to actually rehabilitate. It was meant to lock us up when, when they stopped, when they had those Jim Crow laws and then we were free. 
it was them making up laws that I, I think if you didn't have your ID on you, you could go to go to jail or prison back in the day. It was these all these small things. If you were uh, I think we had a curfew as black people. Like I could look up the actual facts, but we had a we had curfew. We had little things that we would get locked up for. And so that is a that is the start of prison. And that is why, like, we, you know, we're telling, and we, we, we know, but like, we're, we're telling white people, like, this is not okay. Like, prison system, right. need, it needs to be abolished. Let's yeah. be clear. When we talk about, uh, you know, reform and stuff, we cannot reform such a, like, racist, like, oppressive system as in the prison system. It's, it's not possible, I don't think, for us to actually reform it. It needs to be, like, built back up. Now, with some people that need to be, like in an institution for the rest of their life, right? I do agree that because they have things that they don't know, they don't even know how to function outside. Like there's a lot of people that have been in prison since they was like 18. And so like with a lot of mental health issues though, right? But, and they can't be outside by themselves unsupervised, right? That's one. And we used to have psych more like psych, psych wars that were long-term. They stopped doing those. <laughs> Why do you think the prison's, I think that's so big. Why do you think so many people are in prison? But um, it's so it's so crazy to me that like, so I just got a new job working at a hospital in uh, Michigan, and he's Black History Month. Thank you. Um, it's Black History Month, so they were doing. Mind you, I usually don't sit on these panels because I get annoyed at predominantly white places. Is it you know um, uh, what's it called? What's the uh, diversity and inclusion? Uh, people right of course they asked they asked one of the who is three black social workers to do she was telling me about it they asked one of the black workers to get on it and it, okay. you know she so she started this conversation it was about everyone's supposed to watch um thir- 13th um for 13th whatever you know the movie about yeah. on netflix yep 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 okay. and so you know and this was sort of like my first week um there and that's they wanted to want me to be on there so they can introduce me to a lot of our team which was cool but you know when we was talking about like the prisons it was like yeah you know it's it's so unfortunate I didn't know all these things you know some people that are not black were talking about that um and I was just like you know it was like you know we just need to open it up to have more of these conversations and I was like honestly I think it's more than conversations we have to do the work like when we're talking about especially with healthcare system like black people in healthcare like it's not about conversations we always have these conversations we have it with y'all all the time it's about y'all actually implementing these things and you checking yourself are you being biased right now when you just in the notes this patient is disruptive this patient is um you know oppositional like you you're saying all these things about black people in your notes are you realizing what they went through like they just came here and God told them to not talk about whatever they are they're they're on drugs you know like why is it always the black patients that y'all say that anyway and so it was sort of it sort of annoyed me a little bit and I felt it was like my first introduction and I was like yeah you know it's more it's more than you know conversations and they was like Cause I'm like, it is because I, I'm, I usually don't sit on these witness because it's a lot of BS with it because yeah, you know, you hear white people say like, wow, it's such a bad messed up system, but cause it doesn't consistently affect them. And cause they, you know, they are benefiting from the system. They don't actually implement. Now we have, we have a select few that actually try to, you know, um, as in white people try to, but overall it don't affect them. And so like, we having these conversations needs to be more of them implementing things like they need to implement it. We know what we go through. 
they need to stop. So my my question to you then, holding mm-hmm. that right, mm-hmm. in in honor of your time, because I know we like it's been almost two hours, but in honor of of you, mm-hmm. your time, your history working with this population. If there was one, if you had to go in front of MDOC, mm-hmm. and they said one thing, you can change in the curriculum. One thing that you could change working with Black people in the prison population, if it was just one thing, what would you say that needed to be changed? Mm. Mm. Wow, that's such a that's such a deep question. Wow, if I could go in front of them and they would and they would implement it and they would implement it oh, like it's changed immediately, oh. expeditiously. Okay, expeditiously. I was gonna say expeditiously. <laughs> I would say I would honestly. I would throw everything out. <laughs> right. I I would, okay, I would honestly, that's such a great question. I think um it would be more of like I would make it rehabilitative. I would make it as as in like a let me say psych wars. So you you I would make it so that every it was individualized. Everything was individualized. It wasn't a blanket. I would, it's so many things. I would make sure that they had, it's so little to the point that they actually had fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. I would make it so that, because it, so, because what we eat, like people, that's another thing. What we eat really has to like affects our overall. Like I would, I would make it that, you know, y'all get to be outside or it means the winter. We have Michigan more. Like it's yard, you get an hour yard at, the place like you get one hour being outside and you already locked up like it wouldn't be it would it would just actually be rehabilitated but like if we talk about the curriculum specifically I would I would tailor it to those people I would do you we we you know we do a, a, a you know assessment when they come in what they went through we we go through their trauma we go through all that they tell us but then they stay for about two weeks I can't do anything in two weeks. Exactly. No change is going to happen. And so I would, so for instance, Woodland, I would make it a long-term facility for most. And I would tailor it. Like when they are ready to go, when they are, when I say as the therapist, say they're ready to go, not the unit chief that hasn't worked with them or the medical doctor or just the warden because they trying to have space, which happened so much. I would say, I remember this one time, sorry, I'm going to make this fast. I, I did a, you know, a psych assessment, I was working with the patient. And so we have levels of care that they leave here from. So most times that they are like, they come in and something extreme, well, you know this, they will go to like um, RTS or, um, which is, I forgot even the initials, but like, it's just a, a level of care. You should, you should never just stop. This is like, honestly, you know, acute. I, this is acute. You can't just go to regular prison from there. Sometimes you do, you'll go outpatient, but that's, a, that's the only time we go outpatient. And so we go to residential, sorry, that's what it does. Though. So I said that this patient needs to go to residential. Mind you, I, I outlined why and everything. If he goes back to outpatient, he gonna come back here. And so I sent it, I remember the week, um, I think I was off on a Friday or Monday. Came back in, sent it to my unit chief, came back and I look, I'm looking through my emails. Oh, this patient went to outpatient. I said, uh, I went to my... <laughs> Why did he go there? Oh, um, 
the warden thought he needed to go here. Da, da, da. Oh, okay. I just, I thought my job was to make recommendations. Okay. After working with that patient, I'm, I'm confused at the time that the warden actually talks to that patient ever. And so let me tell y'all. So I came, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. The patient was bad. I said, oh, so you just wasted all of my time. You wasted all this transportation. You wasted oh. so many people's time. <laughs> what did I tell you? And so it's yeah. just, it's unfortunate. I would yeah. just, sorry to do that long uh, rant, but. Okay. Uh, I go on um, them all the time. Okay. And so it's, the, the prison system is just, it, it needs to be abolished. It needs it, to, it, that's, that, I, that's just the key, quite honestly. We can't reform something when we have racist officers um, because by the way, when you, when you don't make it to be a police officer or you mess up or something, you can't be a police officer, they become correctional officers. Let me let y'all know. So I guess, I guess my little question, um, just throwing here, cause I know we want to start wrapping it up. You know, we don't want to be on here two hours, you know, that would be <laughs> nice, but, uh, I don't think no one will tune in for two hours, but, um, so I guess to both of y'all, uh, y'all thoughts on restorative justice. So instead of implementing, I guess this is more, well, you can tie this into mental health as well, but, um, the theory that instead of imposing harsher sentences and, you know, uh, harsher time lengths, like your thoughts on like the actual rehabilitation of a person, you know, an offender to prevent them from reoffending. So y'all thought on that, I guess. Hmm. Ooh, that's deep. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's- like, don't get me started. Huh? <laughs> I'll pull something off the Pandora's box on you. Okay, because when we, we even think about crimes, crimes are really, is it like crimes of passion or is crimes of just lack of resources? And so most people, that's why people would look at me crazy. And I was like, like, okay. I, and not mind you, I try, I treated all of them the same, but like somebody that r- raped someone versus someone that robbed somebody to eat or someone that is selling drugs, which is, um, that's the stupidest thing to me. That shouldn't even be a sentence, but we going not get into that and so I think I think again like our whole system is so dis like oppressive so like you start how you got arrested right it starts with the police officers how they got arrested why were they arrested because police officers are trained to look at something odd or look at someone that is it has a tail light to actually put them over and then see other things because they, they I've, I've had a, a, a police a police chief say this to us in a room full of black people and was a black man that said this um that we we do police poverty like places of poverty more because it's more likely that they have other issues and i said well that's very unfreaking fortunate you know <laughs> like what um and so i think the, like it, it all stems from like really what are y'all doing are to actually get these people in jail like why did they come to jail and so like they don't have any resources in their community so I really think it starts with that like really giving people what they need you know actually like we, we we've seen that American can do that we they were getting a nice a, a little bit of nice uh income from unemployment right so you can do that we we can we we can implement these things. People can okay. work from home, like these exactly. that we right that we didn't think would work. And so it just really takes time to like we have to get people uh, um, policies yeah. that really benefit the people, like the the more than the you know one percent. And honestly, 
we look at, sorry, policies and politics, it's honest, sometimes we think it's like black against white in reality it's poor against rich. Hmm. And so when we, I feel like if as, if we come together more, like as in like even some like poor white people, like the poor white people that voted for Trump really thought that, that he was trying to benefit them. No, he hates you too. Hmm. <laughs> um, if we really just be like, wow, let's, let's implement something that we can benefit from. So these communities don't, even because I mean, poor white and poor black, two different things, let me say that. But I think having resources, putting resources in these communities so that crime is less than when you have a big group of people with no resources, what you think is going to happen? They all pushed up. We all pushed up on each other. You know how sometimes like in these homes, like I do therapies, they, it'd be eight people in a one bedroom. Mm -hmm. So I think just giving these communities resources, actual education, like no, it's no reason why we should be sharing a book or it's four books in a classroom ever. Or every one teacher is, is 40 students in one class or 35 is a lot actually. You know what I'm saying? And so I think it starts there within communities and actually giving these people resources and not having food droughts, right? So resources, again, food resources, um, correct healthcare and like financial like resources. So I think that's where it has to start because then we get into that whole problem of the prison system or just the system, the, and that's just, it's, at that point, it becomes too late for some especially if you're a father. And so I think that's really what it is because that's the, I think that's the real reason why people go to jail in prison. Most people, let's say that, black people. I would start with, because I'm looking at it from the forensic aspect, it's mm -hmm. so hard to merge a mental health in the legal system. <laughs> when you walk into spaces such as courtrooms, the judges don't want to hear you. Mm -hmm. If it's not a mental health diversion court, they're looking at you like, why are you here? This person just murdered somebody or why are you here? They have theft by taking since they were 13 years old. They're now 31. Mm -hmm. They've been doing this their whole life. We locking them up. Okay. And that's. <laughs> Do, and the definition of insanity mm -hmm. is what? Okay. Doing the same thing and what? Expecting a different result, right? Mm -hmm. So, so my thing is we need to look at the NGRI, which is not guilty by reason of insanity and who we are applying that to. Because my understanding is if this person has a plethora of theft by taking, a plethora of invasions, a plethora of attempted murders, we don't need to just be putting them in the prison population and then thinking over 15, 20 years when they get out, they're restored, right? They are, they're rehabilitated. We need to look at the aspect of placing them into mental health institutions, understanding the nature, what is the root of the reason why this person is conducting these types of behaviorisms, breaking that down, looking at it from a humanistic approach, and then properly assisting the person by putting them through RSAT programs or some type of programming mm -hmm. to empower their mind. So therefore their body reacts differently in these ingrained situations, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So instead of invading someone's home or stealing from someone and trying to murder someone because you have no financial means, well, let's maybe look at going to some type of service like a Kelly services or going to McDonald's and filling out an application or 
going to your local church and asking them for assistance when it comes to doing things in a manner that will allow for you to, yes, keep your freedom, but to also keep you into alignment that you are going through these issues currently. This is a moment. This too shall pass. Taking Mm -hmm. on a different pro-social approach to me is how you rehab somebody's mind. Mm -hmm not just placing them in the prison system with generalized population, giving them years upon years, and then placing them back into the same environment with no Mm -hmm. resources, tools, or techniques to do different. Mm -hmm. So my approach would be looking at, yes, the NGRI clause, which again, is not guilty by reason of insanity, and start applying that to more cases instead of only throwing that to rich white people that have good lawyers. Okay. That was (laughs) see that's very like that's attainable (laughs) yes okay yes well as we are wrapping up i know uh y'all listening i know we was getting into it um unfortunately for everyone's time we can't be here forever um (laughs) but yeah we thank you so much toya for coming on the show you are awesome you are awesome i could talk to you forever (laughs) no i just i truly love this dynamic because um i think it was so interesting hearing it from the social worker aspect Mm -hmm. um versus hearing it from you know the psychologist aspect no no offense to you dear sister but it was definitely interesting to see it from that prism and that point of view um because it's all intertwined at the end of the day so i think um for there to be a solution i think there needs to be communication on all levels on all aspects um for there to just be that solution and that change because i think if you took anything away from this uh, conversation today is that um there are problems (laughs) clear-cut problems and that um we need to especially in this day and age, now that we're starting to destigmatize mental health, mm-hmm. I think we need to start coming up with clear-cut solutions um, and start implementing them. Because at the end of the day, we are seeing way too many inmates who come in the system and it's the it's the school to prison pipeline. And it all starts, I believe you were saying to earlier, the community, it starts at home, it starts in the community. And if we start investing resources into underprivileged communities, underprivileged schools, we may not be seeing this this upward trend of, okay, you've been through K through 12 and now look at you, you're in prison Mm -hmm. doing 25 to life. Mm -hmm. And if we just have, like you said, access to better healthcare, you know, access access to food, just I think, that in itself will curb a lot of things that we're seeing. And if we put more social workers in school, more um, school psychiatrists, psychologists, because like, like and I was saying earlier, these things start young. Like you see a lot of these issues manifest themselves while, you know, from the ages of like eight to 12 or eight, eight to 17. And now they become an adolescent. And now, like you said, no boundaries, you know, you have all these mental health symptoms and now it's then evolved to now you have a diagnosis of something that if you would have just had the resources and the access to it at a younger age, you wouldn't be in the situation to this day. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, yeah, any any last remarks from the peanut gallery before we uh, close out? I know this is a very heavy, uh, I think heavy and very well-needed conversation. I think um, we kind of just need to let go of whatever preconceived notions you have with therapy. Like I said earlier, I would rather someone uh, reach out, uh, call, a, call a hotline. If you are struggling or you know someone that is struggling, please reach out to someone. Um, I think that is the most important thing you can do. Um, you don't have to suffer in silence. Um, just don't be afraid to reach out. There's always gonna be someone that'll help you. That is what these people are paid to do. They're paid to listen to you and to help you and to guide you off the edge, so. Mm -hmm. I just wanted Toya, you to have the opportunity to plug your social media just in mm -hmm. case if we have some listeners out there that loved exactly what you were saying and would love to get um, in contact with you. Um, okay. Uh, my Instagram is at ITS. So it's underscore Toya, T-O-I-A. Um, and I just want to say thank you guys for having me. This was such a good conversation. I'm um, blessed that you guys invited me. Um, a doctor, pastor, uh, E, that's what I'm gonna call you because you dropped some tims for me. I was getting, I was getting some words and honestly, when you, I'm serious. So I, I wrote down some stuff. And so thank you for that. And, and Donald, this is, this is such a great platform. So I appreciate you guys for inviting me so much. Thank you for yeah. having us into your Sunday and yeah, anytime that you want to come back on unapologetic conversations with the Coleman's, the door is always open. Because you are amazing. And I love the way you speak and how passionate you are about the mental health field. So keep doing your thing, baby girl. Keep being Thank amazing. You. And we honor you, queen. Thank you so much, guys. Yes, yes. You were amazing. Um, I love the conversation. I knew, like, when I met you, like, and it was so crazy. When I met you, like, this time last year, you know, uh, I didn't think, you know, that we would be here. But, like, I, I said earlier, manifestation is so okay. powerful y'all <laughs> and goal setting and you know connections y'all so powerful um you know today's episode was not we'll get into that in the future episode probably about networking <laughs> connections but um definitely um thank you just like my sister said allowing us into your space your energy oh. your time your knowledge um thank those you. are very precious things um like you know we love to say you can never get time back, but I think this was definitely something well worth it um, for the listeners out there. Um, we hope that you guys took something out of today's episode. Um, I think it was very important to shine, shine light on all these issues. And um, yeah, I will be linking um, a couple of resources down in the link, um, sorry, in the description box below. Again, if you know someone that is struggling or if you are struggling, um, there is a 24 hour um, seven day a week hotline you can call um, please if you need help seek it there's no shame in that and I think from two mental health professionals I think they can also vouch for that as well and um yeah I think that's it thank you guys so much for listening um thank you to my sister thank you to Toya for having us and um, sister, you want to plug yourself one last time? I, I know yeah. we, we can't end the show without, you know, talking about the website. Talk about the website. 
Of course. Before I get into that, I just want you guys to understand we are on Instagram at unapologetically underscore Coleman. So if you guys are out there wondering how you can see more into our lives outside of our podcast and YouTube, that's where we are. But for me in particular, check out my website if you are looking for wellness coaching, wellness consultation, fitness wear, ebooks. And I have some more exciting things coming when it comes to looking at the skin from the inside out. Make sure that you check out DrEbonyColeman.com. That is D-R-E-B-O-N-Y-C-O-L-E-M-A-N.com. Yes, and make sure to follow us on our Instagram. Also, if you are watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and share. Also, make sure you hit that little bell icon because you will be the first whenever we drop an episode. Like, YouTube will send you a notification and be like, yo, they just dropped (laughs) dropped a new episode. Like, you gonna go watch it? So make sure you hit that um, and make sure you follow Dr. E. You will never know when she has something coming up. Um, She's always doing a project where she's always doing something on her website. Um, Make sure you go buy her merch, her fitness wear. Um, If you just need to get your life together after this this episode, you just were like, you know what? I think I want to make a change. Schedule her for a wellness consultation. Um, If you're looking to get your detox on, she has eBooks for that. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, She plugged herself already. I don't need to do it again. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. It was amazing. This is an amazing episode. And we look forward to seeing you guys next week for our next episode. Bye, guys. Bye. And that that is it. That is episode seven.